This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Caitlin on from Plum, and our topic is the Great Resignation is a direct result of our failure of talent realized. So we got a lot of things to unpack in there. Can't wait to get into it with Caitlin. Caitlin, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and Plum? So my name is Caitlin McGregor. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Plum, and we are able to assess and quantify people's innate talents, like their ability to innovate, communicate, work well with others, and use that to ensure we match people to the right jobs, where they're going to thrive and realize their full potential at work. Done. I love that. All right. So we start with the backward, uh, at the very end of our topic, in, and it's the concept of talent realized. For folks that maybe that's new to hearing something like that, um, you know, let's let's bring people into the uh, you know what is that? What is that? What when you say that? What does that? What does that mean? I'm going to use an example that uh, I've been in the trenches for the last two weeks. Normally, as a CEO, I get to focus on strategy and stakeholder management, and I've been in the weeds doing customer success management with some smaller clients, uh, just because it was what needed to be done. And I can do the job. You know, I have the eligibility. I know my product. I know how to work with customers. I have the eligibility to be a customer success manager for the last three weeks. Um, Experience, past, you know, education, everything lines up on paper. All of my historical data says that I am able to be a customer success manager. and, And I just did it for the last three weeks. It is the most miserable I have ever been in the last decade of work. I could do it, but I was miserable every single day. Just everything that demotivates me, that drains me, that's taxing was utilized in my day-to-day activities. You know, less than 20% of my day was using something that actually I was naturally gifted at and, and excelled at. Versus, you know, before that, before going in the trenches, doing customer success management work, you know, I, I every day love getting up to, to work. I love my job every day. I love what I do. At the end of the day, I have a sense of fulfillment. I feel like there is something that, you know, I am bringing to the table that my colleagues aren't, that really is needed to complete the picture of, of what we're doing And, uh, you know, most of the time I get to use what drives me and gives me that sense of self-worth. And, you know, I'm aware of things that drain me, but I get to make sure that's less than 20% of my work week. And I get to be conscious of developing coping strategies so that those things, you know, don't, don't overly drain me when I do have to utilize them. And, and that's really about, you know, the core of what it is to realize talent is, are we setting up people to thrive or, are we looking at their eligibility and over-rotating on that and, and really not looking at the holistic full human and how we can best 
really realize their talent as them being employees in an organization so that the company can be successful, but also for that individual. Are, are they fully realizing what makes them exceptional? So you're self-aware, which is fantastic, right? Uh, not everyone's as self-aware as you are. So, and, and again, yeah, everyone's busy. So, you know, like no, no harm, no foul. Um, but, but how do we optimize, you know, people in the right spot, uh, people getting the most fulfillment out of their jobs? How do we actually get to the place where talent is at a place where it's realized, but also, you know, everything that makes that right? Uh, that people are satisfied. They love what they're doing. You get, they they feel a sense of accomplishment, like all the things that you feel in your normal job. Uh, all the things that 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 we could all feel that way. But how how does an organization go about unpacking and probably unpeeling some of the layers that have been built up, barnacles on the boat that have been built up over the years, and undo things so where we can realize talent. I really see this first and foremost as a data problem. You know, the mm. only realize why I have self-awareness is because I've access to data that tells me, you know, what drives and drains me. I have access to data that tells me that the role, like a customer success manager at, at this particular point in time at my particular company with the particular customers we're dealing with, that, it, that those are utilizing talents that are not, aren't, aren't my strengths. So I have the data um, I'm feeling it, obviously, but I have the data that makes it quantifiable and, and makes it make sense that, that, that this is happening so that I can diagnose exactly where the mismatch is, exactly where the misalignment is. And so I, I think fundamentally, this is a data problem. And I think it's a, a problem that we need to really look at in our industry in that, you know, most of the solutions on the market are really first and foremost looking at readily available data that you can scrape from a resume, that you can scrape from a cover letter. You know, it's glorified keyword matching based on that data that focuses on historical data, uh, where somebody went to school, where they previously worked, you know, even, you know, how fast they progressed in their career. And, you know, no matter how much we want to talk about you know, removing names and, and how, you know, by with the data, scrubbing it, we can remove it of bias. At the end of the day, that historical data, it's embedded with systemic barriers and biases that dictate right. access to education, access to you know, internships, access to even how fast somebody progresses in their career. As far as I'm concerned, it's dirty data that tells us if somebody is eligible, but it has nothing to do if somebody is going to be able to perform at a high degree over time, there's nothing to do with if you were to just give them the opportunity, if you were to upskill, reskill, would they be successful and happy and fulfilled, which translates into higher performance and higher retention. And so for me, it's, you know, recognizing a lot of the systems that data can still be helpful, but the data really has been designed by data scientists and computer scientists to show what that historical data, you know, what patterns exist in that historical data and how to replicate, you know, those patterns moving forward. And I'm challenging that actually there's a complete set of data around people's innate talents, what they're born, you know, you can't teach this by the time they're in their early 20s, people's priorities in terms of do they get a sense of self-worth from innovation or do they get a sense of self-worth from working on a team or executing and checking off a to-do list you know, we need to quantify that 
And that can be done in a 25 minute assessment about the individual. We need to start incorporating that data uh, to the equation so that we get a full understanding of if we're setting up people for success. And that's about the person. And you still need to know that about the job, but I'm going to stop there because I'm, I know that you love this stuff and I want to make sure I'm, I'm giving you time to talk too. No, 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 no. Uh, I can listen to you for all day. This is, and the things that you already, you already hit on, on data, you already hit on some of the things I was going to ask you about in terms of biases and kind of dirty data, unstructured data versus structured data, et cetera, but also data that's siloed. So you have data over here, you have data over there. You know, you deal with a lot of practitioners. You know, you know the pains that they're going through. Um, do you think it's it's easier for them to just start afresh? Because I've gotten this, I've I've gotten this sense actually from some of the folks that I deal with, uh, the practitioners that I interact with, that are like, I just want to start over. I just I just want to start afresh and just build a brand new data set because of everything else is just, it's not, it's not, they wouldn't say it's junk. They just wouldn't be able to trust it. And I don't know if you've gotten that sense or gotten that feeling from people either, but there's a real feeling from, from practitioners. Like I just don't trust the data I have. I may get myself in trouble, but I would say absolutely. And the reason for it is that, you know, that data that we often have access to, it has, that bias that mm -hmm. is embedded in the data in the first place. It's not the practitioner that said, hey, you know, when we look at somebody completing university in five years instead of four, you know, that I'm going to have a hiring manager that's going to make an assumption that that meant because, well, that person that took five years, they must be lazy or they must not be that smart. Instead of, no, they took five years because they were working three jobs and taking care of an elderly parent. You know, and actually they're, they're, they have amazing hustle and, and, you know, amazing work ethic. And they're incredibly smart because they were able to do it in five years with everything else going on their plate. Like we're not intentionally, you know, saying that by sharing five years versus four years that we want to be biased. It's just happening. You know, that, that, that data doesn't tell the full story. And so, and it's not just that it translates even into performance evaluations, which is a really critical measurement that gets brought into equations and the reality is, is that the dirty little secret is that 50% of performance evaluations are often wrong and they're embedded with bias because, a, you know, three out of five from one manager does not equal a three out of five from another manager. And so that data is not fair and equal and consistent. So it, it brings in, you know, dirty data into the equation. If we even look at comp data, people are like, well, you know, it's, you know, it's financial. We can use the comp data at least. Well, how come that person's making more money than that person? Is right. it because of better performance? Is it because they actually did their job better? Or is it that they were a better negotiator? Or is it that people coming out of their school, you know, when they graduated, typically get paid higher than people coming out of that school? So it's just, you know, there is a lot of reason to be suspect of that data and a lot of reasons to start, you know, fresh. And it, it comes down to a lot of that data, we are using it as a proxy. When we look at historical data or eligibility data, we are using it as a proxy to tell us, can they do the job? Are they hardworking? Will they meet our needs? And it's an incomplete proxy that has a lot of dirty data in it. So there is reasons to throw it out. I think that there is a reason to say, okay, well, what does predict on the job performance? And this is where, you know, uh, I am, you know, bold and brash to say there is an entire field of PhDs in industrial organizational psychology that have spent decades of research globally coming up with what bias-free, 
allows us to predict on the job performance. And it has nothing to do with that historical data. It has nothing to do with past performance. It has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with eligibility. It has to do with if somebody is naturally gifted in innovation and you put them in a role where they're a cog in a machine, they're not going to be successful. You take somebody who is driven by innovation and you put them in a role where they get to come up with out-of-the-box innovative ideas, they will thrive. It is that simple and we can measure it in an amazing user experience with great scalability in 2022. What I love about this is, first of all, you're telling the truth. And and and, and yes, that's a... <laughs> That always it gets me into a lot of trouble, but it you know it's always it's always tenuous for people to hear the truth in the sense of yeah there's a really there's a reason that you should mistrust or distrust uh, the data that you're sitting on. Okay, so first of all, if you're feeling as a practitioner when you're listening to this and you get that sense of you know I I, I felt this way, okay I didn't I didn't know why I felt this way, but I feel this way. Okay, you know what? It's okay. Part of it is knowing that this is actually, you know, why you feel this way, but you know what? It's fixable. It's the, that's the thing is it's, there's the intentionality of, of when, when we first started down this path 150 years ago in personnel and creating uh, data, we've been sitting on data for the, the, the history of HR and recruiting. So it's not like we, but we, but we haven't had the intentionality to then create it in the right way. And so, yeah, maybe maybe hitting the reset button and starting over sounds a bit intimidating or overwhelming, not, because it'll get you to a far much better outcome. I'll push it one step further in that, you know, we, we have an amazing customer that's really challenged kind of the data that they're using. Um, and, and they've been the boldest that we work with today, which is Scotiabank. And they have completely eliminated resumes for all their campus recruitment, early hires, um, internship roles. And what happens is that when you apply for a job, you're not applying with a resume. Instead, you're completing your 25-minute plum assessment. What's been amazing, though, is that you're not applying just to one job. You're applying to the organization, and they're matching you to what jobs within that organization you would be the best fit. And why they're able to do that is because of the second data problem, which is, you know, well, if they're not using a resume, how are they matching people to jobs? It's not with job descriptions. They're doing what the industrial organizational psychologists have been charging boatloads of money through consulting services to do, which is they're doing job analysis, um, doing a job analysis on every role that they have open in the organization. Now, that wasn't accessible to organizations a decade ago because you could never have a team of industrial organizational psychologists come in and interview basically the interview panel for every job and say, you know, what behaviors, what competencies do you need somebody to demonstrate to be successful in the role? That would just, it, would be, it wouldn't scale, it wouldn't be affordable. But now in eight minutes, we've been able to automate that job analysis so that those job experts that are you know, setting up what the behaviors for success look like moving forward, they can quantify those. And so now when somebody applies, they may be a 95 match for commercial banking and maybe a 65 match for a financial analyst. And they're being guided into roles where they are the best fit. And then the bank is able to upskill and train them on the missing hard skills in order for them to be successful in the role. And so part of this bold move is is not only rejecting 
you know, resumes, but it's also reimagining what are we getting from job descriptions? Job descriptions should be your marketing tool to get people excited to apply to your company, but they shouldn't be how we are solely deciding, you know, who hiring managers should look at. We should be for, you know, sending forward people that have enormous potential if just given the opportunity and just given some of that hard skills training. You know, those are the people we should be screening in to roles, especially in this tight labor market. Let's screen in people that have the potential to be excellent. So the, some of the components there what uh, is what we heard is behaviors and competencies. And I also heard a little bit of potentiality. So when we're measuring, you know, someone, what, what, if I got that right, hey, uh, and, and is there other things that we should be looking at? I think that, you know, again, the other data, um, you know, are they, could they hit the ground running, you know, mm-hmm. that comes from that historical data? It's helpful to know, but, you know, you want to make sure that, again, if it's a role where you need somebody that's innovative, you know, if this person really, you know, innovation is something that drains them and right. they spend too much time on it, it's going to lead to burnout. You know, if, if I tell you that they have done an innovative role in the past, or I, I tell you that they even took a course in innovation or, you know, is do you want to spend your time interviewing and, and talking to that person? Or do you want to talk to the person that that's, that's their strength? That's the thing that they love doing. And then say, okay, well, you know, geographically, can they come into the office if that's still a thing? Or comp wise, you know, are they in the, probably in the salary bands that we can afford for this role? You know, do, do you, are they going to need some on the job training about our industry? So there's other data that you're right. going to want to bring in. It's still important, but the idea is that, you know, looking at somebody's innate talents and aligning those to the behavioral needs of the job through a job analysis, that data and finding somebody that is a match in terms of those innate qualities, that data is four times more accurate than a resume at predicting on the job success. So we should be starting there. Right. And this is like <laughs> reference checks. Eventually you can get to reference checks once you're talking to the right people. And how do they keep that up to date, like over time? So let's say we do that, obviously, initially in uh, pre-hire. Um, but once an employee is an employee, how do how do we keep that up to date in terms of just the the behaviors and competencies? If 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 those things change, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to even assume that they do change. But if they do change, how do we keep those up to date over time? So this is what's great is that from the individual side you know, after they're about 22, 23, what drives them and gives them that self sense of self-worth, those are incredibly stable. So they can retake their assessment once a year if they want, but it's really not necessary. So, you know, as you get more and more candidates into your database and more and more employees, you know, you may have a brand new job pop up tomorrow and you can look at everybody and see who are your 99 matches, 95 matches, and those people's data, that's going to be very stable. Now, the role itself, let's say you hire somebody who's a 95 match. Well, we're hearing from our customers, large enterprise customers, that their jobs are changing as frequently as every six months. Mm -hmm. So somebody that was a 95, if you're curious about, hey, now we've changed the job, is that person still a good fit? You know, it took eight minutes to create that job analysis. It can take two to go back and just edit it and say, are these still our priorities? It's the same thing with any goal setting. You know, we should be creating KPIs or something equivalent to key performance indicators for every role and reevaluating them and updating them as the role changes. This is automatically doing that 
for your KBIs, your key behavior key behavioral indicators, KBIs. So our survey, you can go and update in a couple minutes and then be like, oh man, this person's now a 99 match. Okay, still good. Now I know, you know, if there's any gaps, I should be coaching them on or investing development dollars to because they're such a great investment for this role. Or oh man, now they're only a 70 match. Okay, is there somewhere else in the organization where they would be? an 85 match for that I should be talking about maybe moving them into that role longer term. You know, this is happening anyway. The difference is we have data that can quantify it so that we can ensure that we truly are setting people up so that they're realizing their full talent for the organization and for themselves so that you're getting that increased performance and that retention, which is so critical right now. I love it. Let's link this back to the great resignation. I mean, now that we've laid a, a nice base for folks uh, and what, what should be done, why are we in this situation uh, with the great resignation? Like, wh- what, is, what do you believe the parallels are? What's, what's you know, how, causation versus <laughs> correlation? Uh, we don't need to give people a complete rundown on, on the differences between the two. But the idea is that, okay, we got here with a great resignation because we didn't do talent realized. I I think it's that the power balance has changed. I think that employers could be like, here's a salary, do what you're told. And I don't care if you're not happy. It doesn't work that way anymore. Now employees are, are actually saying, you know what? The last two years have been really hard. I have taken on more work and I have, you know, been exhausted with no relief in sight. And I now can work for organizations that don't care where I live. And I can work for countries that can pay me a higher amount. I can, you know, grow in new ways because there's such a, you know, hot market right now. I can get an increase in title or a change in pay. Some people just want to change. They're sick and tired of doing the same thing day in, day out. This Because COVID has made life monotonous and draining and difficult and they're hitting burnout because they're burning the ends at both, you know, the candle at both ends with families at home. And they're finally saying enough is enough. I want to be happy. I want to prioritize myself. I want to be able to wake up every day and be excited about the work that I do. I want to end the day feeling like I did something amazing. And they feel like now there is a collective voice saying that that is now the norm and employers are starting to wake up and go, okay, for new hires, we need to do this. And so you're starting to see big salaries and you're starting to see them, you know, offering big things to the new people coming in the door, which is making everybody go, well, somebody else will offer me better. But, and they're a little slow, but starting to come around that they need to do that for their existing people. I mean, there are for every open job in an organization, they really truly could be looking at their own employees first and saying, by moving people around, how could we give them a new opportunity to grow, a new opportunity to be happy, a new opportunity to take all their institutional knowledge about our company and our customers and what we do and, you know, breathe new light into that for the company and for themselves by taking a new opportunity internally instead of constantly offering better to new people coming in. I love it. Okay. So last question, what is, and it is, where do people start? So now we've got, we've got the linkage. It's a pretty, really strong linkage between talent realized and the great resignation. 
So we we understand kind of we understand that the audience I think gets that. Now they're going to ask the na- next natural question, which is fantastic, Kaylin uh, William. How, where do I get started? Like, where's the when you interact with your prospects to then become customers? They can't fix it all at once. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, like we got all kinds of cliches we can add in there. But where do they start? Where do you? Where would you like for them to start? Again, if I think about this as data, let's get as much of this data into their system as possible. So every mm-hmm. single candidate that's applying for every single job in your organization, have them complete a Plum profile. The listeners, go to plum.io slash DS for discovery survey. DS, take a Plum profile. You know, let every candidate see their own top talents, empower them with a positive candidate experience to see what makes them exceptional and give them that as as they then start to populate your database with the most innovative or the best people at teamwork or the best at executing, start collecting that data right away. Same thing with your employees. Let every employee complete a Plum Profile and get their talent guide, which is our professional development guide. You know, that's going to let them be the drivers of their own careers by becoming more self-aware as to what are those things that drive them and drain them. That's an easy thing right out of the gate. And it's amazing to start going, oh my goodness, we believe in innovation, but only 3% of our employees are in the top 10% of innovation in the world. Huh, maybe we need to be thinking through if we are truly rewarding innovation, truly attracting innovation. There's amazing things that can be done just right out of the gate. Yes, there's your typical use cases of campus recruitment hires. That's an easy place to start. There's examples of identifying leadership potential so you can create a more diverse a pipeline of, of candidates within your organization to start investing in leadership. There, there's lots of use cases, but you know, really it's about the data. So getting every candidate and every employee and enabling them with this data is step one in my mind. Caitlin drops mic, walks off stage. Caitlin, thank you so much for being on the Recruiting Daily podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.